The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Sendo. For more information, visit villagesendo.org. Welcome, my name is Shinryu, and uh, this is our second in-person Fusatsu ceremony since we've reopened the Zendo. So uh, this is a work in progress with everything else. Um, we are uh, doing this in hybrid format, and that's an experiment, and we'll see how that works for you. Um, and we're also doing this with more liturgy, Thankfully, we have more people here in the Zendo tonight, so we're trying out more liturgy roles, and virtually everyone uh, is stepping into something that they're either, they've either never done before or are very rusty on, including myself uh, as officiants. So um, bear with us. Uh, thanks for your patience. And uh, I really appreciate all of your effort and all of your sincere uh, energy and I have to say the chanting sounds beautiful in here tonight. Um, so, uh, the is a our monthly uh, atonement ceremony, and it's uh, a chance for us to, um, well, as the what we've done in the ceremony so far. For those of you who are new to Fusatsu. Uh, is we started out by chanting the verse of atonement in which we recognize our um, uh, connection to all of the evil karma that has ever been committed individually and collectively. All of the harmful uh, acts that have caused suffering, we recognize our connection to that. Um, we are not separate from any of that. And then the second part was acknowledging all of the different uh, aspects of the awakened mind, uh, different manifestations of Buddha. And we recognized that we are not separate from that either. And uh, invoking the different aspects of Buddha. And then the last uh, thing that we did was to chant together the four vows of the Bodhisattva to act. Um, uh, in a way that is of service, tries to be of benefit in the world. And now this is the part of the ceremony in which we have a chance to reflect on the, the bodhisattva precepts, the guidelines for moral conduct. So uh, when I got home from my trip this afternoon, I checked the headlines and I found another blockbuster uh, headline that the Supreme Court has ruled that federal government does not have the right to regulate environmental pollution, which causes uh, catastrophic environmental uh, effects in our lives. And uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was preparing or thinking about giving this talk, I figured I would be talking about the war in the Ukraine. And then we got the double whammy of the ruling that individuals can carry lethal weapons in public in New York against the, the rulings of the 
the laws of New York State, followed by the uh, overturning of Roe versus Wade, which for nearly 50 years has granted women uh, federal protection uh, for the right to have abortions. So I figured that I should turn to that most recent uh, uh, thing that's come down the pike for us. And so I'm not in a, in, I haven't really taken in yet, absorbed the impact of this latest decision about the uh, environmental regulation. But maybe what I have to say tonight also applies to that as well. Um, but when the rulings on uh, gun rights and abortion rights came down, I was interested to see some of the responses on the listserv that I'm on, uh, comments from Zen teachers around the country. And uh, there was near unanimity in the immediate response. And that was a condemnation of, of these um, these uh, rulings, and uh, there were comments about the theocratic tendencies of the Christian right, which now have effective control over uh, the judicial branch of government. There was some discussion of uh, the question of abortion in Buddhist uh, tradition. What is, what is Buddhist? Uh, thinking about abortion tradition. Um, and many of the people who commented also spoke from personal uh, experience. And uh, one of the things that's interesting about Buddhist teachers in this country, and this was at least true for the responses I was seeing on the listserv that I'm on, uh, that unlike in Asia, many of the Zen teachers in this country are women. And uh, so many of them spoke from their own experience about having had abortions or close friends who had uh, positive or negative experiences with abortion. Um, so it was, it was very compelling testimony. And uh, on the question of what does Buddhism have to say about abortion, uh, there's an essay that I found, which I would actually recommend to everyone. I, I found it quite, uh, quite compelling. It was written by a lay Buddhist Zen teacher named Sally Jiko Tinsdale, who teaches in Portland, Oregon. And uh, it came out last fall, I think in October, in Tricycle Magazine. And it's called, uh, Is There a Buddhist View on Abortion? And so part of the essay uh, involves going through and looking at, she reviewed some of the scholarly literature on this. First point is that there's actually, Buddhism doesn't have that much to say about abortion, according to, uh, to the article. Second of all, there are very different uh, assertions in the traditional texts. Uh, there are some traditional texts which say that a human being exists from the moment of conception. Others say a human being exists after two months. Others say after three months. Others say after five months, and so forth. There's a complete 
range of views, no actual consensus. However, there is within the orthodox Buddhist scholarship, pretty much a, a standard view that uh, a human being exists from the moment of conception. This is coming from with out of the, the uh, Vinaya literature, which is the um, traditional ethical teaching that comes from South Asia um, and has regulated monastic life in South Asia and uh, much of uh, some of East Asia historically. Um, so there is a pretty standard orthodox view, especially associated with the Theravadan uh, tradition in Buddhism that a human being exists from the point of conception and therefore abortion is a grave uh, mistake because it takes away the possibility for uh, a, a someone to eventually uh, uh, achieve enlightenment and achieve Buddhahood. And so therefore the rights of the fetus must be uh, preserved and protected uh, on, on those grounds. Okay. So that's one school of thought. Another school of thought comes out of the Mahayana tradition, um, which emerged in China uh, and developed in Japan and which we've received um, and which Zen is a part of. And in the Mahayana tradition, there is a rather different point of view, which is uh, a lot more uh, flexible uh, on, the, on this question. And it tries to look at the overall uh, set of relationships involved in that situation, um, to look at what the overall uh, benefit would be uh, that would have the most uh, morally beneficial result for the, for the greatest number of people. And therefore, it's not just a question about uh, the fetus, but also of the mother and the family and larger set of social relations. And from this perspective, um, abortion, safe and legal abortion actually uh, is a way of diminishing harm and diminishing suffering. And therefore, um, it is not automatically condemned, even if uh, on the face of it, it might look like it goes against the, the strict and literal teaching of not, not killing. Okay. So, um, and Tisdale mentioned, for example, the Dalai Lama said um, that, quote here, he said, I think abortion should be approved or disapproved according to each circumstance, which sounds like a pretty, um, I don't know if liberal is the right word, but a pretty flexible approach that it depends on each, each individual case. But Tisdale says, um, when the Dalai Lama says, I think abortion should be approved or disapproved according to circumstance, the question becomes, well, who has, who is in a position to, to approve or disapprove? Right? Um, 
So thinking about the, uh, the ruling on uh, guns and on abortion, uh, naturally the first thing that came to mind for me is the first grade precept about more killing. Um, and there are clear uh, contradictions here between the Supreme Court's rulings, it seems to me. But actually, I, I didn't want it to focus on the first grade precept tonight so much as uh, look a little bit at the seventh grade precept. Um, the seventh grade precept is the one that says um, uh, not um, abusing others in order to elevate oneself, to praise oneself. And I thought that this, uh, this precept is relevant for us because as we're thinking about how to respond to the, the new legal context and the new political context, how, um, what would be appropriate kind of action and uh, what would be uh, action that is beneficial versus harmful. And so I think that this, this precept is significant because it is about uh, first and foremost, it's about uh, our, um, our speech. Um, I think individually, uh, our engagement and uh, discourse and debate with others. Um, and it has broader public implications as well. So um, I think it's very easy for all of us to fall into the habit of abusing others in order to elevate or praise ourselves or to abuse, um, yeah. We all have our, most of us have really, really strong positions on the question of abortion, for example. The situation is so polarized, the conflict is so acute at this point that we have very, charged and polarized uh, debate and actually a lot of difficulty in having any rational uh, evidence-based kind of kind of debate and so i think that uh this is something that we can look at when it's so um easy so natural to to feel intense rage or despair uh, for some of us or for others to feel um, vindication and uh, triumph, to look at uh, how we can engage in constructive um, debate and exchange. And I think that we, when we're in a completely reactive mode, which is triggered by the political um, uh, animosity in the country, when we are so, it's so easy to fall into set ideological uh, scripts, it's important for us to be able to really, um, to be uh, mindful of our speech and the way in which we engage. And I think that that can be a way to uh, um, 
perhaps in a small way, uh, prevent uh, intensification of, of the conflict. So this seventh precept is one that um, traditionally, um, you know, we can look at it in different ways. Um, it, all of the, the precepts actually can be looked at from in a very strict and literal way, like the Theravadan perspective uh, or the Hinayana perspective. Uh, we might say that simply don't kill, uh, don't abort. Or we can adopt a more relative, flexible um, perspective that looks at the overall context and say, well, it depends upon the circumstances. Uh, what's the right thing to do given the situation of the mother and the family and one's uh, class and racial and regional position in the, in the situation? But there's also another uh, deeper uh, or more absolute uh, perspective on the precepts. And so when, uh, when we look at the the absolute teaching about the seventh precept, we get um, the teaching attributed to Bodhidharma, who said, self-nature is subtle and mysterious in the realm of the equitable Dharma, not dwelling upon I against you is called the precept of not praising yourself while abusing others not dwelling upon I against you. And then Dogen, uh, the great Zen, Japanese Zen teacher, commented on this precept saying, Buddhas and ancestral teachers realize the empty sky and the great earth. When they manifest the noble body, there is neither inside nor outside in emptiness. When they manifest the Dharma body, there is not even a bit of earth on the ground. So what, what, both of, what both Bodhidharma and Dogen are saying, I think, is that from an absolute perspective, there actually is no um, separation between self and other. Uh, there is no separation between liberal and conservative, between a pro-life advocate and a pro-choice advocate between a fetus and a human. And uh, I think that, what, is this, what does this mean? I don't think that this means that from the perspective of the absolute perspective of emptiness, everything just evaporates into nothingness, but rather that everything comes back to reality as things actually are in this moment, rather than our ideas about uh, all the ideological uh, frameworks that we have and all of the political manipulation that we're a part of, um, all of the automatic scripts that we're used to falling into and all of our standard ideas if we're able to drop them for a moment and come back to what's actually right here, right now, uh, 
there can be a kind of spaciousness and freedom and that allows us to act more skillfully and more appropriately and in a way that doesn't contribute to the cycles of suffering, but may help to alleviate. But, but obviously we cannot just um, go around all the time operating from the perspective of the wisdom of equality, which is what uh, Bodhidharma and Dogen are talking about. At the ultimate level, all beings and all existences fundamentally equal. But to, to function in the world, our wisdom has to function. And that means we have to discriminate uh, between one thing and another. We have to make judgments and decisions and discern what is appropriate action and what may sometimes may be very complicated and confusing and ambiguous circumstances. So this is why I like the Zen Peacemaker Order's interpretation of this precept. They say, speaking what I perceive to be the truth without guilt or blame, this is the precept of not elevating oneself and blaming others. Speaking what I perceive to be the truth without guilt or blame. So without guilt or blame, I think helps uh, relieve us of that kind of reactive energy that all of the political manipulation gets us into. So that we're able to speak just from our own uh, perspective, how we see things. Um, and uh, there's a kind of, there can be a kind of clarity to this, which does not automatically, magically dissolve all conflict. On the contrary, a um, pro-life person can speak uh, what they perceive to be the truth, and a pro-choice advocate can speak what they perceive to be the truth. And it doesn't mean that there are no differences there, but it may allow for some kind of more uh, rational, evidence-based, um, sincere kind of exchange. And I'd like to, to add to it that I think that if we add in here, not just um, what I perceive to be the truth, but also what I perceive to be the truth based on my own experience, um, that that can make a difference as well and can contribute to a kind of debate or dialogue which is more constructive. So, uh, so if it comes to abortion, what is your experience and that of the people you, you know? Obviously, I can't speak from uh, experience of having been pregnant or having given birth or had a miscarriage or had an abortion. Um, I still have my, my views about this, but I thought that uh, what I would do just in the last part of this talk is to share the views of, that Sally Tilsdale um, articulated in her, in her writing. Um, Sally Tilsdale is someone who worked in an abortion clinic as a nurse 
Um, and she wrote a powerful essay back in the early 1990s. Uh, it came out in Harper's Magazine and uh, about her experience of working in, in the clinic. As her, her, her experience as a nurse, her perception of the doctor's experience, and especially of the experience of the women who came in uh, to the clinic. It's, uh, it was written in the early 90s, and it's interesting because it's not a defensive article. It's not defending abortion because in the early 90s, uh, Roe was already on the books and it was accepted practice. In fact, um, you know, most from what I've read, the Protestant establishment in general accepted Roe versus Wade in the early 70s. It's only in the late 70s that they seized upon it as a political weapon used to whip up um, political uh, energy. And that energy was not immediately, initially very great, um, but it eventually acquired the kind of power that it has now and the kind of institutional uh, effect that it has now. And to the point that now abortion, uh, when Sally Tilsdale writes about abortion, she has to write about it in a more defensive way than she did in the early 90s. But the piece in the early 90s is actually very raw, very honest. Um, it un makes uncomfortable reading for a lot of reasons. Um, and she gets into a lot of the tensions and contradictions around abortion which sometimes if one is defending uh, choice nowadays, one is uh, more hesitant to do perhaps. But her, her latest piece um, about abortion doesn't just talk about the Buddhist view, but her own view based on her own experience. And that's what I wanted to, to share with you. So, um, and just uh, a word also that in in the Buddhist tradition, unlike the Jewish or Christian or, or Muslim tradition, there is no sacred text which uh, we, we follow as the truth. And the Buddha said uh, that we should draw our conclusions based on our own experience fundamentally. And Tisdale uh, quotes the Kalama Sutta in which the Buddha says, um, Do not go upon what has been acquired by repeated hearing, nor upon tradition, nor upon rumor, nor upon what is in scripture, nor upon surmise, nor upon axiom, nor upon specious reasoning. But what is your experience and those of uh, the people you know? So Tisdale, uh, just to share a few of her comments, says, I liked working at the clinic. It was intellectually challenging and emotionally satisfying. Every day I was able to help people through a difficult time. No one danced in, no one danced out. But every day I was able to relieve suffering. I saw women suffering with addiction, carrying fetuses with profound defects, living in poverty. I saw women in menopause and girls pregnant before they had regular periods. We cared for people whose health was at risk from a pregnancy, who had been abandoned or raped. I met people who were ignorant of their own biology. 
in denial about a pregnancy and in denial about terminating a pregnancy. But mostly I met people who were sad, a little sad or a lot, and clear-eyed about the rightness of their choice. And a number of the other Zen teachers who commented in the online remarks that I saw also said, you know, for many women, um, an abortion is not necessarily a traumatic event. It may be uncomfortable, but it is maybe a healing, a healing event. And Tisdale goes on, I believe that reproductive choice for all people is fundamental to the Buddhist view, that supporting safe legal abortion is a dharmic stand. Equality must be among the highest of our values, not only the equality of all to realize enlightenment, but to have equal chances to enter the practice. Human birth is precious because it allows us to meet the Dharma consciously and engage in the discipline freely. A human life is the opportunity to confront suffering and karma and change the course of both. If we condemn slavery because it denies the equal personhood of a being, we have to condemn forcing people to give birth. And forcing people to give birth was also uh, one of the, the features of slavery. Tisdale says, pregnancy is the fluid process of becoming. A pregnancy is not separate. It is part of the body. What is developing is incapable of survival away from that body as a severed ear or foot would be. The embryo may contain all the parts of a sentient being as an ear and foot contains all the DNA of the larger body, but neither is a whole being. And finally, we must always rely on our own investigation to know what is true. Every human life will require difficult, ambiguous choices. Abortion is not a special case. I know that abortion can be undertaken with all the compassion, love, and generosity with which we welcome a wanted baby. It is an act that can increase happiness even as it decreases future suffering and allow a person to be healthier, stronger, more whole. Abortion is healthcare, and people's suffering will only be compounded as long as, is any, as it is anything short of safe and legal. So I share those words um, because they come from uh, someone who's speaking from her own uh, Frank speaking frankly about her own experience and because I find many of her, her thoughts to be compelling personally. So what is your, your experience and uh, what do you have to say about the issues? We're going to, I'm going to end there and we're going to go into the last part of our Fusatsu ceremony and uh, we're going to now invoke the three treasures, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. The awakened mind, the, the teachings of awakeness, and the community of awakeness. So um, please uh, engage in the liturgy as fully as possible with all your heart and your whole body. And if you're there at home and not doing full prosternation, you might still want to incline uh, and chant along. 
And if you do, for a moment, let go of all the ideas that are running through your head, and you do give yourself completely, whole body and mind, and whole heart, to the ceremony, you will be manifesting the precept of not abusing others and elevating yourself. And you will manifest the precept of not killing. And you will be uh, living teachings of Bodhidharma and Dogen and the Zen peacemakers. Thank you for listening. <laughs>